What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Over Six Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Zach the Bandit Burke, and with me, as always, is the Turf King, Cameron Charlton. What is going on, bud? Just another beautiful day in southern Ontario. I've had a heat warning the last few days. Been a little hot to be out on the golf courses, but it is what it is. It's still nice out. I'm not going to complain about 35-degree weather and sunny too much. It's It's been a good time. I've got out canoeing a little bit, got out and played some golf, enjoying the outdoors while I can in southern Ontario. How are you doing, Burke? I'm doing well. A little more pep in my step than when we last talked two weeks ago. So, you know, a little bit of a, again, like summertime's tough, especially in you know, just in general, in your industry, in my industry, um, I mean, you're getting up at three thirty in the morning. So if we can't get it done at uh, seven or seven thirty, uh, then it's not getting done. And last week didn't work out. But uh, hey, um, you know, all the people paying us zero dollars can't complain. So it is what it is. Um, yeah, I mean, lots of stuff has happened that we're and we're gonna get into. Um, overall, I'm um, I'm doing well. It's my sister's wedding this weekend, so. Uh, no golf for me this weekend. Um, got a nice haircut. I had to wait. To the, it was the worst thing because I had to wait to get the haircut. I think that's probably the one of the worst things where like if if I cut it a month ago, which is probably when it needed to get done, then it's like a little too long and I'd have to get it cut again. But I don't want to waste the 30 bucks. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to let it. I'm just going to let it grow out. And then the last two weeks has been painful. Like it, it's just, it's not been good. It, it's, it's been, it's been needing to get done. And then finally was done three days ahead. Cause I got, I got my men's league tomorrow. I got to toast the sides that were cut cause they're a little white. Yeah. It's gotta be a little more difficult in your industry when you kind of have to look a little more professional. My industry, it's not too bad. I can just throw on a hat all the time. So those two rough weeks when you're kind of in between where you need a haircut, but you really don't want to get one before an event, you'd rather put it closer. I know what you mean. It's tough. It's uh, all these all these women complain about how tough it is for them all the time. Sometimes <laughs> it's tough to be a guy when it comes to looks, too. There yes. is some struggles, not as many big ones, but there are a few struggles. And this is one of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't think either of us should comment on that unless we lose our lives. So I think we'll just let that pass because yeah, anyway. I know your girl listens from time to time. Uh, mine never does. So I can get away with whatever, honestly. But Yeah, I could get in a ton of trouble here and I'll hear about it. So yeah, yeah. Well, maybe, maybe not as bright of a move. No, we'll, we'll, just, we'll just let that one slide. Um, huge news coming out of the golf world today. Uh, Cam, fill us in on, on, on the latest ongoings and let's talk about it. Get into it. Yeah, I mean, the Live event, Saudi League, it starts up next week, same time as the Canadian Open up here in southern Ontario at St. George. Uh, the Saudi League has been going on. It's been off and on. Who's going to be in it? Who's not? Some of the names you knew were going to be in it uh, for a while now. Uh, you get Westwood. You get Poulter. Some of these guys who are kind of have-beens who have done well, they're going to go over there. The European guys, they don't care as much about the PGA Tour. Uh, European Tour or DP Tour, as they say, isn't really sure what they're doing yet. PGA Tour says they're going to ban everybody. We'll see what happens when it really comes down to it. But there was a couple shocks. Taylor Gooch on the lower end. He's kind of a guy who's near his 30s. But he started to pick up his game more recently. And then the biggest one's DJ. Dustin Johnson is going over there. And this is not just huge news because it's DJ. He's 13th ranked in the world. Uh, number Former number one. This is huge because he's his biggest sponsor is RBC. And it's the RBC Canadian Open next week that he's skipping to go this. It sounds like he's getting 125 to $150 million up front to do the six to eight events for the live, which is insane. And then if you win, it could be 30 to 60 million on top of that. 
So this money is outrageous, but it's Saudi money. Is this really something you want to do? And that's the big question mark. Are golf writers going to care what's going to happen with it? And uh, that's the big name. Taylor Gooch is kind of on my side, the more in-depth golf guys. He's kind of the one that I was like, really? Why would he be going? DJ is the big one that everyone's shocked about, though. I mean, it's 125 million bucks. Like, I mean, we're talking about generational money. Like, this isn't just for Dustin Johnson and his family. It's for their kids and then their kids and then their kids. Like, this is, this is, I mean, I mean, that family in general, I think they're doing just fine, right? His father in law, albeit confused about offside, and we're going to get into that a little bit uh, later on in the show. But, I mean, he, he's a, a wealthy guy. I mean, Wayne Gretzky, by the way, side note, has definitely made more money after his playing career than he did during his playing career by a mile. Um, I wonder how much bet MGM is paying this guy. Like, it's probably it's <laughs> Wayne Gretzky's not getting paid 100 grand to do a bet MGM campaign. Um, but but yeah, Dustin Johnson, man, I mean, that I we were talking about this, you know, kind of in a group chat a little bit earlier. And, you know, why, you know, what's the why? And. So for, on two sides. So why would Dustin do it and why would the live pay him that much money for realistically a short amount of time? Um, and then what are the repercussions for DJ? So first and foremost, uh, for him, if somebody comes to you and says, I'll pay you $125 million to golf eight events, you're doing it. If that's what your priority is. And he's one of, he's one of the masters. He's pretty much won everything that you would need to in terms of your golfing accolades. Um I'll be at a few tournaments here and there that I'm sure he wants, but that's a big number. That's a big, big number, right? And for a guy who obviously it's been it's been very talked about how he's very much so he cares about his family and his friends and him like that's it. Everything else he doesn't care about. So that makes sense for him. Why would the live pay on that much money? You need a spokesperson. Taylor Gooch and Ian Poulter and Louis Stews and like these guys are not like they're not bringing in the crowds. You kind of need that marquee guy to come in and, and do it i mean a good example is like you see a lot of stars that come from like premier leagues and um in the italian league and the german league they come play in mls and they get paid an absolute fortune and they're at the end of their careers like these guys are often 35 40 years old but why do they come because it gets people in the door like why did beckham go play in la it wasn't like he got paid a hefty amount to play and he was way at the end of his career but it got butts in the seats and i think that's kind of why the lives doing it they need that spokesperson, but oof, what a hefty amount to pay for a for the if that's what the thirteenth in the world gets you. I I love to know a number one. You'd pay they they pay a guy like Scotty Scheffler or Rory. Holy shit! Yeah, and it's still interesting because they've clearly left one spot open in the field for Phil Mickelson. It's been quiet yet; he's not confirmed there. All the reports for months now is he will be there. So I guess we'll find out. Uh, really this week because the event's next week. So we got one weekend. We have the Memorial this weekend. So, of course, that's when the Live announces it based on Jack Nicholas making the comments he did a few weeks ago or a month ago there. So they wanted to announce the field right as the Memorial was happening, just kind of to shit on Jack a little bit. And so it'll be interesting to see Phil. He's got basically a week to decide if he's going or not. It'll be interesting. Yeah, that's the one thing that doesn't make sense to me is DJ doesn't care about a lot. He's not the one guy who cares about all this fame, fortune, and stuff. He's just like... He's boring. He is what he is. But his family has more money than they'll ever know what to do with. His wife is a supermodel who makes a ton off advertisements. His father-in-law is the greatest hockey player of all time. His mother-in-law was an actress. Like, this guy has more money than he'll ever know what to do with. 
So the fact that that doesn't really make 100% to me, but we'll see. He's a guy who likes going and kind of saying F you to certain things. So maybe this is just that. It'll be interesting, though, because I don't understand. There's still no TV deal. Nobody has any idea where this is going to be broadcast yet. They have nothing other than that. There's already some weird things about the event. The event's going to be a shotgun from what we're hearing. Every day is just going to be a shotgun. So there's going to be no tee times. Everyone's just going to go off the 18 holes. That's why the field's going to be so small, because you can only run a shotgun off 18 holes so weirdly. But there's going to be some weird things to this, but uh, we'll see how it works. So the only interesting thing is the broadcast is going to be like five hours, and that's it. You're not going to have 12, 14 hours. You're going to have five hours of nonstop action because everybody's on the golf course at the same time, which is kind of interesting. I don't maybe mind there's that. A, maybe there's events. Like, you don't want to see it every event in golf. Like, the majors, I don't want Sunday at Augusta. I don't want the final groups being all over the place and everything or somebody finishing who's going to win the major on, like, four. Like, that would that would ruin it. But for some of these other smaller events, that actually would be very interesting to have that. Like, the WGCs or something along those lines. So... There's a lot of if you did it for like like Thursday Friday rounds, like if the if like the weekend rounds say Saturday Sunday especially Sunday, you know you 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 play off you have tea times and then maybe you shotgun, like you do you do two different shotguns kind of thing like you do a morning and an afternoon one on the broadcast with an with an hour break in the middle or something I don't know like I I don't I don't mind that. It's not it's not the worst um not the worst idea in the entire world but. I almost wonder if uh, the prenup that he signed with uh, with his wife has something to do with that. He's like, man, if I if we ever split up, I'm gonna get bankrupted here. So yeah, I need I need to bring in some cash after the fact that's not touched by that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be an interesting event to see. I'm again more looking forward to the RBC Canadian Open. We got some massive guys up at St. George. Uh, just inside of just really in Toronto there next weekend. Anyways, we got the Memorial this weekend's excited. We haven't got a chance to touch on the PGA Championship, though. We actually got to watch at least the playoff together. I didn't watch as much of it as I would have liked all weekend, but uh, it was a fun playoff. JT pulls out the win over Will Zalatoris. Exciting playoff. Uh, really, Mito Pereira, though, just absolutely blew it. All you got to do is bogey 18. Par it, you win the tournament. Bogey it, you go to a playoff. And he hit maybe the worst drive I've seen a professional golfer hit in that moment. Like, it was... John Vandevelt at Carnoustie level blow up on the 18th hole. Like, just stupid. Like, you hit three wood into the fairway. You miss the green. You make a bogey. You're at least going to a playoff. And he hit driver into the water, and it was the end. It was crazy. He pulled a Zach Burke on, like, 15 when the scorecard's already too much trouble, and you pull out the driver because you don't care, and then you just make the problem worse. Pretty much. That's exactly what happened. Um yeah, and man, I it, that was something to watch the way. Eh? Like I mean, he like he was pretty good all all weekend, all tournament, and it, it just comes down to one hole. I mean, that's the beautiful th- like that's the awesome thing about golf though. That's why we like watching it and we do all like that's why it's great. Because no matter what level you're in, whether you're playing at your local muni course for 5 bucks or a pint after the round or you're playing for a major championship, right? It all comes down to the same thing where you got one hole and all it takes is one hole and that can change the course of everything. Right. And that's what we were thinking all day. Really the top four people going into Sunday had never won on the PGA tour yet won a major. And at the end of the day, it's JT who pulls it out. A guy who has been there, done that won the big, some of the biggest tournaments on the tour wins the Wanamaker once again. And you just saw it in the playoffs. Like not that Zalatoris was really good in the three hole playoff. He played just fine. 
but JT goes birdie birdie to start it, and you're like, oh shit, like this is it. Uh, and then you just can't get over some of these close up putts of Zalatoris. Like I have no idea what he was doing with the putter. I mean, the guy played fine. He finished solo second at the PGA Championship. The wiggle he's, man. He's now finished top ten in five out of his eight major starts, which is incredible. Like that puts him right up there with Nicholas Tiger for his first eight major starts. He hasn't won one yet, but there's no doubt in my mind he's going to figure a way to win it. But again, this was just a great way to end it. I actually love the three hole playoff. Yeah, I mean that's the first. I think that's one of the first times that I've seen it. And I mean, man, JT just had himself like he was just dialed though. I mean he he wasn't he wasn't losing like it it was just absolutely incredible. He just you know right off that right off that first one he and he man credit to him too like it's not like he you know it's not like he basically was had come right off he'd been sitting for a while he was ready to go and man oh man like just absolutely laced his first drive and you knew that when that's happening you're like okay here we go. JT's going to do JT. And I was rooting for him too, man. I, I, you know, no offense to Will, but I mean, yeah, I don't know. JT's my guy. I always like his, uh, the way that he conducts himself generally on the course. And he's just one of those young guys that everybody likes and great, great to see him win. I love to see it. Um, but I mean, when you're that dialed, like after the first one, I know they were, I think they were tied after the first hole. I think they, did they both birdie? I think they did. Yeah, they both birdied. But, like, when you're – like, Zalatoris was in the last group, so he had just finished, correct? So, like, JT had been done for, like, an hour or more, probably two hours. And, you know, when he comes back on that tee, if you're Zalatoris going through his mindset and he rips the, his first drive on the first playoff hole, you're like, oh, shit. Like, really? This is how it's going to go? Because you'd have to be feeling pretty good. Like, Cam, which one would you prefer? Would you rather be the guy who's been sitting for two hours – and then has had to hit the range, or would you rather be coming right off 18? Yeah, and it all depends on the situation. In Zalatoris' situation, I'd rather be Zalatoris, I think. But if it was like, if Pereira got into that when he bogeyed it, I'd rather be JT, because you're already just, you're just reeling and if you get into the playoff. But Zalatoris wasn't reeling to get into the playoff. He did fine. He did what he needed to do. So he wasn't reeling. So I think it all depends on the situation. But in this situation, I think I would have rather been Zalatoris. Well, I, I totally agree. I mean, you're coming off of like you're basically just continuing not bad golf, and he actually played fine. Like, what was he minus? One, like he was like one under on the uh, on the uh, three hole playoff. That's fine. Yeah, that's yeah, that's just might get it done. Like that that generally could get it done. Like ninety percent of the time, you're going to a fourth hole. But yeah, Southern Hills was playing tough and it was tough all weekend. The scores didn't get crazy low. So to go one under a three old playoff, that's good. But JT just outdid him and he played really good. Yeah, it was great. Great to see. Like to see uh, JT with a Wanamaker on his couch drinking beers. Love to see that. I mean, the last two winners have been hilarious. So, um, oh, I forgot to mention. So going back to live like really quick, just because I forgot this point. What's the what's the PGA hammer going to be on this? Cause I have a feeling it's going to be, I think they're going to lifetime ban anybody who does it. And I think they should. And I'll tell you why. And then I'll let you give your opinion. Um, and I'm sorry to circle back on this. I just, we're going to move out of golf, but I wanted to bring this up cause I, I find it really interesting. If they don't lifetime ban them, then they basically have just set a precedent. Right. And I don't see an in-between punishment Like you can't just be like, Oh, you're banned from the PGA until you're done not the live. Cause that's not anything. 
right? Like that all you're saying is you can't play PGA and live. Okay. So it, once you're done living, you can just come back to the PGA. No, that that's doesn't really work for me. You can say you have a five-year ban. What is what does that even mean? Like five-year ban? If you're not playing on the live and you're not playing on the PGA tour, what are you gonna play European tour golf? No, like I I just I to me I feel like it's gonna be a lifetime ban. I think they just slap him with a lifetime ban. And say nope, you're done. Goodbye. You're not coming back. And you know record or you know whatever legacy be damned. I'm sure for if if you're all about your family and your money, you don't care about your legacy, then go ahead and do it. I don't see how the PGA Tour doesn't have a choice. Like I don't, they don't have a choice. I think it's lifetime ban or you're just a joke. Because I think then if you don't come down, because you're like saying, oh, you can come down. Like what are they gonna do? But like bring down the hammer. I'm like, no, you're gonna bring the nuke. You're gonna ban everybody for life. Like that's I personally feel like that's what's gonna happen. Yeah, I think you really do have to throw the hammer down, do whatever you need to do here. Uh, like, the only original thought is that your PGA Tour card is going to be voided. So that would mean, guys, like, if we're going to talk down the list, East Dowson, Kevin Na, uh, Taylor Gooch, these guys would have to go back to, like, PGA Tour U or the Corn Ferry Tour and try and get their card again. And if you see the scores that these guys post, yes, these guys are some of the best in the world, top 100 in the world, top 50, DJ's 13th. It's still not easy. There's guys on the Corn Ferry Tour throwing up 60s three, three, four days in a row. Like, it's not easy to get through that. These guys should be able to, but it's not easy. So there's nothing saying they'd get on the PGA Tour again. Yeah, I think you got to go at least a three, five-year ban. But I think the more interesting thing is to wait and see what the majors are going to do. So none of the majors are run by the PGA Tour. Everyone thinks the PGA Championship is run by the PGA Tour. It's not. It's run by the PGA of America, which is different. There's a PGA of Canada as well. There's a PGA of a bunch of different country. So it's right away the PGA of America. The Masters is run by Augusta. The U.S. Open is run by the USGA. And the Open Championship is run by the RNA. So it's more interesting to see what these four bodies do, I think, more than the PGA Tour. Guys will find other places to play than the PGA Tour. Not that many guys are concerned about winning the Memorial or Bay Hill or the players. Guys want majors. So it'll be way more interesting to see what those four uh, entities do. And what will happen with that? I don't see any reason that they should, like, not let them play, personally. I mean, what – what? I would, let's go back to the root. I mean, everything's about money. We all know that. I mean, that's, that's really what it's about at the end of the day. What better of a storyline for these organizations and for these tournaments, majors, golf courses, broadcasting rights, all – like – like tv stuff to have that kind of pga versus live like like especially if it becomes more of a thing like if you have more guys move over and it becomes this kind of battle between the two entities like is that not what you want for tv like that would be that'd be amazing as 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 annoying as it is and i and we're not even going to get all the politics behind where the money and the saudi league comes from but like just having that competition, I mean, if you're a major championship, you want the best of the best. Like, that's the whole point. So, I think there's two things. Number one, if you want to make money and you want views and you want all this stuff, you're going to want the controversy. Number two is if you're a major championship, you want the best of the best. So, it doesn't matter where they play in the world. You should want the best golfers in the world to come play your tournament and compete for a major championship. Yeah, like, it's I, that I, simple. I, I mean, you see the European guys come over and play the majors, and they're good, but I just think this is a different story. It's The Live isn't a normal tour. You do have to, unfortunately, look at the backing behind it and how it's become what it is and why it is what it is. So if the entities step up and the USGA, RNA, Augusta, and stuff don't allow these guys to play, 
I'm for it as well. They've made a choice. They know what they're doing. They're losing all their sponsorships, and that's going to be quick, and you're going to find that out in a hurry. You've seen Kevin Na with the Saudi uh, logo on his collar for months now, and that'll be it. He'll probably lose a lot of his other sponsors. It sounds like RBC's probably going to drop DJ. They've made a couple comments. Everything around the RBC Canadian Open, DJ's stuff got ripped down today. So they're losing a lot of money this way too. I know the sponsorships are nowhere near $125 million. But uh, yeah, I think you do at the end of the day have to look at where the money is in the back of the Live League and the Saudis. And it's going to ruin these guys' legacies. It's going to definitely ruin how you look at them as a person. I get money talks, but at the same time for me, you make a lot of money on the PGA Tour if you're a top golfer. So if you're a top golfer, why do you need to go do that? As you've seen from guys like Rory McIlroy who have talked about it. Rory's talked. He's like, I have more money than I'll ever know what to do with. My kids will ever know what to do with. My grandkids will ever know what to do with. Why do I need to go there? Like, Rory McIlroy's won the uh, FedEx Cup before. Like, that's $10, $20 million. You invest your money properly. You're set up. He keeps winning events. I don't know what his total purse is. Plus his sponsorships, his Nike deal, his TaylorMade deal. Like, these are huge. So guys like that, like DJ, he has more money than his family will ever know what to do with. So at the end of the day, it's just basically you get the money just to say you have that much money. And this is where, to, to close it off, because I wanted to touch on this too, and I and I forgot about this as well or didn't touch on it, but this is where I think the internal battle with Phil is, is that Phil, he's at the point in his career where he knows that he's not, even though he won the Wanamaker last year, he's not going to be there competing in every tournament. Right, like it's just not there anymore. And if he has an opportunity to make that kind of money, his internal battle, I'm sure right now, is legacy over money. And I'm well, sure he is. That... Phil's other problem is money. He doesn't have any. Well, he's a gambler. That's an issue. So that's the other issue with Phil compared to some of the other people. I don't know, how, but it's pretty public that Phil has lost a ton of money and might not have any. So there's the other battle with Phil. Right? So it's legacy over cash. Which, whatever he decides, that's his own opinion. Like, it doesn't matter. But I think that's why you haven't seen him say anything. He didn't didn't play in any tournaments. He's just kind of ghosted everybody. And I think that's where the internal thing is. It's like, hey, what, like, what am I going to do? Am I, like, is this going to be a business decision or is this going to be a heart decision? I think that's why it's tough. I think that, personally, I think he thinks that the PGA and the legacy and the Hall of Fame, he's there. Does he want that or is the dollars that he's going to make the big money? Cause he, he's going to make similar to DJ money. He, we're not talking like he's making 6 million as an, as a sign up. Like he, he'll be a superstar on that tour. So, or whatever circuit, whatever you want to call it. So yeah, it's so a world worldwide figure. Phil is probably bigger than DJ. He's not the same golfer DJ is at the moment, but worldwide he is probably bigger than DJ. Well, oh, name recognition alone. Like yeah. anyway, it's just, I, I understand where that struggle is going to come in. I don't know. I, I, I almost wonder if there's, you know, behind the scenes, and this is where you love to be on a fly on the wall in this kind of situation where you say, hey, you know, do you have old PGA guys calling Phil and saying, Phil, what are you doing? Like, do you have all this kind of shit happening? And I, I'm sure it's a real internal struggle for him. I wouldn't be shocked if he doesn't do it, though. I think, like, everybody assumes that he should, but legacy's tough, man. Like, if you're Phil, you, and there's lots of stories about Phil being a selfish guy and the, the Bones caddy, uh, caddy story, you know, not getting his flags. Like, that's all kind of shitty. But overall, though, he's loved by the fans. He's been toe-to-toe -to -toe with Tiger for the last 20 years. 
not quite, but like they've been rivals. That's like the OV Crosby kind of thing, but again, not as close. And it's, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he chose legacy. I, 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 I don't, I don't know. I just, I have this gut feel as I think that's the biggest struggle right now. And I, and can, it, I mean, may, and maybe that's because he has an ego, right? Like maybe that's the case, but regardless, like that's hard to give up. It's hard to give up the revere and respect of your peers, right? Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. This is just kind of a shout out to somebody who we have no affiliation with, but uh, everyone's seeing all the negative articles that are coming out from the new documentary uh, of Phil here and it's de- or autobiography, not documentary. Uh, it's worth reading. And I'm looking, it's probably the book I've been looking forward to the most since Tiger Woods. And it's Phil, the rip roaring and unauthorized biography of golf's most colorful superstar by Alan Shipnock. This guy's done a ton of work. He's been close with Phil. He's had dinner at Phil's house, had wine with him and his wife. Uh, there's lots of negatives, and that's have come out. The Bones thing, the Saudi comments, that's all come from Alan Shipnock. There's a lot of positive stuff that Phil has done. So uh, for anybody who's curious about Phil and kind of how he is, it's definitely a worthwhile read, and I'm looking forward to reading it. And it'll be interesting to see what Phil does when it comes all to it. And I'm sure we'll have time to chat on this either next week or the week after, whenever we have time to chat next. We're going to we're gonna find out. I mean, it's coming to a head right now. Like We're, we're going to find out sooner than later. Uh, let's transition into the NHL playoffs. Round two is has wrapped. Um, lots of stuff to talk about in, in round two, to be perfectly honest with you. It was crazy. Um, really good games overall. Um, I think the first thing I want to touch on is Tampa-Florida series because that's the shortest conversation, in my opinion. Um, yeah. I've said for months I thought Florida was was a fraud team. Watched them in person. I did not think they were that good. I thought they got a soft schedule down the stretch to really, you know, they had 18 games. They won in a row. I forget how many games they won in a row. A ton down the stretch. I thought they had a soft schedule. I I said from the beginning, I thought they were shit. And they are. They were shit. Tampa swept them 4-0. They scored three goals all series. And you can talk about, well, they're, you know, their offense was like next level. and They weren't that bad on defense. Yeah, they got swept. And they scored three goals. Like, they were awful. Awful in that series. And they had a couple games that, I mean, Vasilevsky played better. Now, Vasilevsky had the best goaltending series in analytics history. We also don't. It's not just better. That's unbelievable. We don't, we don't necessarily agree on this because it's like the convert. And I, I, I want to, I, we're not talking about the Leafs, but I'm just saying that it's so hard to look and say for a certainty. That oh, I know you say well, I expect a goal is this and I expect a goal is that. That's fine, but when it comes down to the actual play, you say okay, did Florida play them as hard as Leafs did? Probably not. I don't think they did. No, I don't think no, they, they des- I I don't think they deserve to even be close in that series. They had one game in Game Three. Game Three, Florida probably deserved to win that game. They didn't. And every three out of the four, three out of the four games analytically, Florida was better. I test. I don't agree. Like just again, analytics paint part of the picture, right? Analytics paint part of the picture. Cause you also have to look and say, like they talk about high danger scoring chances. And I mean, when you watch the game, you're like, well, that really wasn't a high danger scoring chance. Like nothing. High ha- danger scoring chance is black and white. If it's in the home base thing, it's, a high I, danger I, I know, chance. I know so it's that black and white <laughs> it, it is, but it, but it's like, well, obviously Fazlas, you stopping that there's nobody, you know what I mean? Like if you're get, if you're getting a shot from the bottom of the circle, you should stop that in the NHL. You should. 
right? Like, I, I get it's a high-danger scoring chance, quote, air quotes, but you probably should stop that if you're any decent goaltending. Anyway, bottom line, bottom line, this is just my opinion. You can agree, disagree with me, which is great. The bottom line, I look at it and I say, I did not think they deserved. They were not in that series. They were not. The President's Trophy curse lives on, and they just did not show up. And I don't think they played up to their potential, but I also thought they were a fraud team to begin with. So I was, as as much as it sucks, because my profile picture still is Tampa Bay, me in a Tampa Bay jersey, which is bullshit. Um, Florida is, is a fucking fraud team, and they deserve, they got what they deserved. Yeah, I don't agree with their fraud. They weren't and didn't put up as much of a battle as the Leafs, which I agree with. Uh, the same issue with the that the Leafs have had. Florida's big guys didn't show up and didn't score when they needed to. And Vasilevsky played absolutely unbelievable. If he played anything like that in round one, Tampa wins in five or six. It doesn't even get close to going seven. Um, he, he played unbelievable. He was the best player in the series by a mile. And... The craziest thing with Florida is everyone thought the reason they lose the series in four or five if Bobrovsky played back. Bobrovsky was unbelievable. He was fine. Well. Yeah, he was good. Yeah, both goalies were unbelievable in the series. At the end of the day, the experience got it done. Florida's guys couldn't get it done in big moments, and it was over quite fast. And uh, Tampa has those guys who look like they can get it done. Guys like Corey Perry, even down the lineup, like these guys just score in big moments and do Nick things they Paul? can get done. Yeah. So they've picked up and they figured out figure these holes out once again. Uh, incredible job by their GM, and we'll see. Do I th- agree that Florida is a fraud? No, they're not as good as they seemed all regular season. Saying their schedule was weak, they have the exact same schedule as the Leafs and Tampa in the regular season. They played the exact same teams the same amount of times. They're the same division. That's how it works. No, but down the so stretch, though. But yeah, but no, no, no. But I'll, but that's that's all. I, I get it. I get what you're saying. But the difference is though is is that down the stretch, right, when you win that many games in a row, and, and don't get me wrong, I also think there's games that the Leafs in Tampa and every team in the NHL, when, I mean, the, the NHL season is 82 games long. You're going to have games where you're like, wow, we should have beat up on that shit team, and you, and you don't. Like, it's frustrating, but that's the reality of it. But when you get this really soft schedule down the stretch, because the schedules aren't the same. Like, I actually thought the Leafs had a way easier schedule early and this is where, like, the hype train was rolling at the start of the year, as it always is, right? Like, that's always how it goes, because I thought they had a relatively easy schedule to start the year. And then down the stretch, they had a bit of a harder schedule, which I prefer. I'd way rather have the tough schedule at the end. If you know you're going to make the playoffs, you want the tough schedule at the end, because that, you know, towards the end of the season, generally speaking, you are all gearing up for the playoffs. You're playing intense. You're playing, I mean, obviously, you're injured. There's injuries and stuff like that. But generally, you're trying to gear up for playoff hockey. I didn't think that Florida had that down the stretch. I thought they had an easier schedule down the stretch. You're right. Same same teams overall, the same schedule. But it just was the easier teams were backed in the end, and they got that false sense of confidence. And then you get in the playoffs. And, I mean, Tampa, like the first two games were in Florida, and it was 2-0 going back to Tampa. Like, you knew it was over. I mean, I, I didn't. Personally, I didn't think Tampa was going to sweep. I think I had, like, we have our predictions. I forget what yeah, they you were. You had Tampa in six. I, I, yeah, you're right. I had Tampa in six because I thought Florida would. I thought Florida could get two. That make, and I think that's fair. I thought they'd probably, you know, they, you know, probably get Tampa gets one in Florida. Tampa gets two, and then Florida wins a game five. Tampa wins at home in six. That was my thought process on it. And Tampa just game three was pivotal for me. As soon as Tampa won game three, I was like, it's. That's curtains. Florida threw everything they could and couldn't get it done against Vasilevsky. Like, game over. Because 
Vasilevsky's record in eliminate or in in games to close out a series is f- fucking unbelievable. It's it's insane. Oh, and it was insane even in game four. They threw forty nine shots his way. I think they had like twenty four scoring chances, and they lost the game one nothing or two nothing. Sorry, one empty netter. So it was just. Yeah, they got it done. Vasilevsky was insane in games three and four when Florida was the much better team in both those games. It wasn't even close. But, I mean, the end of the story, Tampa got it done. Their guys got it done, scored the goals when they needed to, and Vasilevsky took it to another level. And right now, if Vasilevsky's playing at that level, even Colorado and Edmonton aren't scoring, and they're not going to get it. We'll see what happens here, uh, and we'll talk about round three a little bit later. But got to move into the other East series, which we were both really wrong on. Uh, This Rangers team just keeps surprising me. Oh, man. Part of this is that Carolina's goaltending has taken a beating. Yeah. I mean, we have to mention that. Yeah. It's huge. New York's York's played, what, five goalies now in two rounds and hasn't played a number one goalie yet? Yeah. They they played a number one goalie in game seven against Pittsburgh for a guy who hadn't played all series. Right. You're right. I guess that's a lie. I get. Yes, you're correct. Which again, like it's ridiculous. Like part like let, let's just call it what it is. I mean, you're not playing I mean F- Freddie Anderson's a good goalie. He is. I mean, he was great for Toronto for the most part. Couldn't get it done in big moments and I I get that. But he had played really well all year. He he I've argued forever that he's a top 10 goalie in the NHL. And I still maintain he should, that. He did get one of the three Vesna yeah, he, he he he's he's a good goaltender, and I I still maintain that. Even though he's not on my team right now, I still maintain that, um, and that's a huge difference. And part of the thing is is that Shesterkin did not in the first round. He did not play, and generally throughout the playoffs, has not played his best. He played much better in round two, which and, and that's the thing. He played better in round two, and especially uh, better as the series went on. Right, like at like at the start, he was still kind of meh. And then as the series went on, game six, game seven, he was he was excellent, and that's what the Rangers needed. I mean, that's I I personally don't. I mean, they made the East, the Eastern Conference Finals, so they have to be a good team. I don't think they've had the hardest road to get there, and I think that's fair to say. I mean, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're an Eastern Conference Final team, you're an Eastern Conference Final team. I can't argue it, but they haven't had that. In my opinion, they have not had that tough of a path, and now um, yeah. they're going to have a little ag- bit tougher of a test here. You've gone against Deming, uh, Casey DeSmith, Tristan Jari on one foot, <clears throat> now Antti Ranta, and now you're going to go against Vasilevsky. That's a massive jump. Uh, the other thing I just can't get over is the Canes. The Canes threw six games or through the first round and six games in the second round. They hadn't lost at home and hadn't won on the road. This was such a Jekyll and Hyde team when they're at home. Like, is home ice advantage that big to Carolina? It just seemed insane. And kind of game six, after the Rangers won game six at home, he just felt like there was something with this Canes team where they weren't going to get it done in game seven, and you really weren't sure why. But it was just one of those where they relied so much on home ice all playoffs that one of these games it was just going to give out, and it felt like it was game seven. And I don't know. They were just an interesting team. Again, I think they would have had a much better chance if Freddie could have played. Uh, not a great fan of anti Ranta. He's some of the best equipment in the NHL always, but I still think they would have had a better chance with Freddie. I fit Fre- think Freddie's gameplay fits that system much better because the Canes, the reason they're so good and finish so high in the standings every year is that system. Rob Brendamore is an incredible coach. That system is really good. They're really deep on the back end. And I think not having Freddie, who is a little more stable than Ranta made a big difference overall. I a hundred percent agree. And, and yeah, I, I mean, 
I don't know what I mean. You're talking about home ice advantage. I mean, I don't know, man. The the, the Canes home ice is nuts. Didn't help him in Game Seven, unfortunately. I mean, they didn't have a chance. Actually, one of my I don't know if you saw the broadcast. He probably sleeping to be honest. But um, but Ray Ferraro in the third period. I think there's like eight or nine minutes left, and it's four one uh, Rangers and and uh, and Ray Ferraro's like. You know, if the Canes can get one here in the next, like, you know, three, four minutes, you know, they got a chance. And then, like, as he said it, the Rangers got a breakaway and they score. And you just hear him on the broadcast, never mind. <laughs> yeah. I, I did see the highlights of that. So, yeah. Wow. I thought that was so funny because, I mean, that that was just, ugh, man, just a dagger. And I, I I don't feel bad for the Canes, man. They've had cracks at it. They've been there. They just, they just can't close. They can't get it done. I know all about not getting it done. So uh, they 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 really can't get it done. I we'll get to we'll get to round three here, but I don't think that yeah. round three bodes that well for the for the Rangers. Moving into the West, we had the Avs versus the Blues. The Avs end up pulling this out in six games and just getting it done the way they needed to. Nathan McKinnon tried ending it in five. He did everything he possibly could. Three goals and an assist and just an end-to-end goal that shows, in my opinion, that he might not be the second best player in the NHL. You could argue that. Nathan McKinnon is the second most exciting NHL player to watch. He's great. That's my opinion. Whether he's the second best player, we can argue that all day. Probably There's probably five or six guys you can argue. But just pure excitement, what he does on the ice there's only McDavid to compare what McKinnon can do, and he showed it in the St. Louis series. And as I thought, I had the abs in six, so I actually got that one perfect. I'm That's the only series I got right at all, and I got it perfect for games two. St. Louis was pesky. Uh, really, Bennington going down killed them. Not a dirty play by Kadri. I do not like Nazem Kadri. He has made a lot of dirty plays. This was not one of them. It was an unfortunate circumstance that ending Bennington series, but this was not Kadri. Oh, and Bennington's just a little bitch. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I mean, I got to put that out there because, like, throwing the water ball at the guy, he's talking about how it was a God-given opportunity. Are you fucking stupid, dude? Like, come on. I mean, you and you... No, I, I love it. You, I, I, I mean, love it's it. it's entertaining. It's still stupid. I mean, was it... Let oh, me yeah. ask you this. Was it entertaining when he smashed up one of your tee blocks? No. Bennington has a temper, and we've seen it many times, swing taking... Uh, swings at people but this this was pretty harmless it didn't really hurt anybody so it's just kind of funny the only thing i didn't like about that is people like ah it's because he's racist i'm like no it's because he's an idiot like it's not this has nothing to do with no not at all and i mean yeah i mean yeah kadri got the shit beat out of him the next game because the entire blues team was trying to beat him up i mean dude i don't know what he's supposed to do i mean it's a fast game that happens so often right like seriously that that kind of play happens all the time and, yeah, I mean, the way that it happened and the injury that he got was unfortunate, but it's not like, like what, you're not special. It's not like he did that on purpose. It's not like, uh, who is it, uh, a couple of playoff series ago when somebody in town, or even last round, who took some, um, fuck, who took somebody out behind the net? Oh, Lucic took out uh, Mike Smith. He, like, body-checked Mike Smith. I mean, th- th- like, let's just. We, we haven't that even wasn't got... the Ryan Miller hit. Yeah, that wasn't the Ryan Miller no. hit from Lucic. It was very, very different. Right. Like, this is what we're saying. Like, this is not the Mike Smith behind the net. It's not Ryan. It's not Lucic. I mean, I could actually argue that Lucic is more like when Lucic hit Mike Smith, you could actually say he has a history of hitting goalies. I, Kadri, I mean, that's just goes, that, that's a tough play. This just goes back to my point when everyone's like, oh, Kadri needs to be suspended because of past history. This just goes back to my point that I've said on this 
podcast many times. Is the play suspendable? Yes or no? And then you can go into whether he's a repeat offender and stuff. But if it's not a suspendable play, you can't just look at the guy. If you said, yes, this is a suspendable play, then you can be like, okay, now it's a guy who's a repeat offender. We can give him more games. We can be harder. But you can't make a non-suspendable play or a non-issue play an issue if just because of the player, in my opinion. No, and I, I totally agree with you, 100%. So, I mean, I think we all figured the Owls are going to get this done. I mean, the Blues are a gritty team. They lose their number one goaltender. And it all comes down to goaltending again, where you're like, they're just not – soon as Binner's out, you're like, oh, well, that's the series. And it was. And Yeah. Huso actually, he did. He looked bad in the game where he came in, but he was actually quite good after that. He was decent after that. He wasn't the reason they lost this series, but Bennington definitely gave them a better chance to win. He could have won a game or two. So, But Colorado still, like, I'm still to this day, I'm going to regret it probably if they have to face Tampa in the finals. They're still my Stanley Cup favorites. I took them before the season. I took them before the playoffs, and I will stick with it through because I just got to stick with through it while they're still here. Yep. No, I agree with you. And then Battle of Alberta. What a series. It was entertaining. Like, no goalie fights, this though. Is, but. Like 9-6 in the first game, you're just like, this is how this series is going to start. Just unbelievable. Ton of fun. Uh, McDavid's just McDavid. Like, there's just nothing else to say. As Daryl Sutter said, did the better team win this series? No, the better player did. And Connor McDavid is... Can't we've talked about it. We've talked about him more and more and talked about him compared to the greats of all time. And you're seeing articles now on it. Like this guy, we haven't seen him in the big moments. His team struggled in playoffs. A lot of it on goaltending, a lot of it on other things. We didn't get to see him in the world cup because he had to play for that U223 team. We haven't got to see him play in the Olympics because of the NHLers not being there. Connor McDavid is now in these big moments and he's willing his team to win. He's doing everything he can. And even in the last game when he wasn't great, he scores the overtime winner. Like this guy is just, he's, he's unbelievable right now. This is like, you're seeing the point totals he's putting up. He's already passed a bunch of guys for a bunch of series. Like Connor McDavid is the best player we may ever see hockey and we really have to enjoy it. And I thought the flames were the much better hockey team. I thought they were going to win this series. Uh, big thing here. Uh, Mike Smith outplayed Markstrom. Markstrom wasn't very good. And then now this is a couple playoffs in a row where Markstrom's not very good. So you start to wonder a bit, but I mean, I don't really have anything more to say than this series was unbelievable and Connor mcdavid and leon dreisaitl are on a whole nother level oh i yeah i totally agree now here's the question though is the coleman goal a goal this is the controversy do you want me to yes, start or do you want you want to go oh it's a it's a goal it's that a was goal. not a kick, it's a goal. kicking motion you're allowed to deflect the puck with your foot you're allowed to do all that that is a good goal it, he didn't kick it. He deflected it with his foot, which you're allowed. He did not. There was no distinct kicking motion. You can't. I don't know how anybody can tell me that that's a distinct kicking motion. Was this a big moment in the series? Yes. Do I think the team who deserved to win the series won anyways? Yes. But that's a goal. It's a goal. And I don't think it's like this is unfortunately where we don't even have to talk about it because like I, I don't know. I. The review rooms had some struggles. And we'll the, get to that in a minute. And the refs have had some struggles too. I mean, in general, and I, I don't know. I think if they call that a goal, though, it stands. Like, I think if you challenge it back the other way, I, I don't like. I think that it stands. I just think they waved it off, and they're like, "Oh, we're gonna go with the call on the ice." Like, I, I feel like because because the refs on the ice have input, right? It's not like they're just getting told what to do. Like, they're asked questions. They're, you know, their inputs put on, uh, you know, taken into consideration. And if it's not 
black and white. And if it's a gray area, we all know this. It all comes down to what was the call on the ice. And that's where the call on the ice was. So, you know, if that gets called a goal, I think it stands and probably should have. And we probably should have got OT. But at the end of the day, um, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. I said stutter. Go ahead. Yeah, we got the series everyone wants to because of these moments, though. So everyone wanted to see McKinnon versus McDavid, Dreisaitl versus Makar. You got Kadri in there who's going to be a pest to them. So that's exciting. And yeah. two teams who don't know how to play net or defense. Yeah. So let's dive right into that then. Because last night kicked off the second round. We haven't done our predictions on that. So it's a little biased now. Uh, I'm still going to give what I was going to give before. But, um, yeah, man, I mean <laughs> – I we talked about this beforehand about we're like in our on group chat we're like man we have to hit the over in this game and the over under was at seven goals and that was blown up in like midway through the second period not even like five minutes into the second period and the over already had hit like it was just nuts like every puck went in the net it ended up being an eight six final with an empty netter start of the third period I I uh, I was just chilling and watching the game and I was like, man, I, I need some action here to make it interesting. Cause I really don't care. And I'm like over third. Uh, what, what was the score at the time? I think it was something like, what was the final score? Eight, six. I think it was like, whatever. I think it was six, seven, six, three, six, three, maybe seven, four. I don't remember exactly what the score was. Um, I think it was seven, four. Anyway, the number came across. It was like the over under was at like 13 and a half was the line. And the over was like plus 110 or something like 120. And I was like, man, I have to take the over here. Like there has to be three goals scored here. Empty netter and two others or more. And sure enough, the over 13 and a half hits, which is double what the over seven was. And I was like, oh my God, dude, I, I don't know how you can't take it. I mean, I don't even want to know what the over line is going to be in game two. It's probably going to be like nine goals or something stupid. Like there's no way the bookies are going to put it to six or seven again. Like you'd be stupid because you know the money's gonna pour in on the over. Like you have to make it outrageous. Yeah, there's a couple crazy things about this game overall. Yeah, one is that, and yeah, eight and a half I think might be the goal thing. I think that's what some people are seeing early, which would be the highest for a hockey game in the NHL since betting's really been a thing. Eight and a half is just absolutely ridiculous for a hockey game. Uh, a couple other things: this game, the score was closer than the game. Everything Colorado was the much better team. Here's an interesting thing for you. Is Edmonton going to go with Mike Smith in game two? Koskinen was unbelievable when he came in. He was made 20 saves on 21 shots and was unbelievable. Some of the saves he made were 10 bell. He had a ton of saves on high scoring chances and Fenwick scoring chances, which are even more than high door. Like he was unbelievable. This is the reason that Edmonton had a comeback was because of Miko Koskinen. He looked really comfortable. He looked really good. On the other side, you're really concerned about Colorado's goaltending. Francus or Francis or however you want to say it does not look good. Is Kemper going to be okay to play in game two? So on one side, I think Edmonton, you might have a goalie controversy. I think you go end up going back with Mike Smith. He got you through the second round and he was really good against Calgary. Uh, makes you wonder though, if he's going to have a short leash on the other hand, you're just really worried. Kemper hasn't looked good, but you don't feel any more comfortable with Francis going in. I think you give Mike Smith another crack. Um, I mean, this is one of those things where you look and say, you know, when you have that bad of a game, you like as a player, you're going to be fired up to do better. Right. Which is not always a good thing. Right. Sometimes you actually when you're that fired up, you overplay and you 
you know, you're, you're, you're doing too much, right? You're doing too much to kind of make up for the bad play before. So that can't always be the best. I think he has a short leash though, like a really short leash. Like if it's two nothing in the first 10 minutes, he's gone. Like, I think they're, they're going to, the, the, the yank's going to be quick. Um, but you know, that being said, the, the big thing cam is I think that if you're Edmonton, you look at it this way and say, um, if we don't start him in game two, then we basically are committing to Koskinen for the whole series. Because yeah. you're not going to go back to Mike Smith in game four. Because you're basically, if you don't play him in game two, what you're saying to him is you are not, you do not have enough to get the job done. And yeah, we had this, we had this last year in Vegas with the whole flurry and yeah, Leonard exactly thing the same thing. It's just, and so again, I I 100% agree. Mike Smith starts game two. The leash is a lot shorter though, because Koskinen Way looked really shorter. good. Yeah. And really, for the last two years, it's kind of been a 1A, 1B thing anyways. So Mike Smith's got you here, but the leash has to be a lot shorter here. And the interesting thing, though, is Edmonton just kind of sounded like they did after Game 1 versus Calgary. They lost 9-6 to Calgary in the first game of the series, 1-4 straight. They sounded very similar, so we'll see what could be done. Another controversy in this game, though, was Kale McCarr's goal good. Well, I know your opinion already, but... Yes, it was good. It was. I You know, I, I just... I think the problem that I mean, this is what it comes down to, and and multiple officials and and guys. I mean, Carl Kolyakov thinks it's the dumbest thing ever. He's a former player, right? You have multiple officials and and former officials saying and analysts saying this is a good goal. What this controversy comes down to is <clears throat> we're talking about uh, possession or control. Which one is it? Right. And I think that perhaps maybe the rule book can be a little bit more specific in this. To me, this is a good goal. If you don't, I don't like to say, well, he still had control of the puck. He, he didn't touch it. So like, this is almost like when you, you know, like if, if there's a delayed penalty and buddy ticks it off his stick or whatever the case is, or it, like you're, you're not blowing the whistle down because he doesn't have control of the puck. Right. And that's pretty specific. In this case, I would say, hey, to have an offside, you need to have a stick on the puck and a guy in an offside position. And in this case, and, and you all, everybody's seen the clip floating around of McCarr's stick. It's a bad angle. If you look at the other angle, he's yeah. not. It's, it's the horrible. Other, the other angle, the puck's not even close to his stick. No. Everyone keeps Snapchatting the one yeah, angle that it's looks just, like it's on his stick. Like, I, get, I get it. Like I understand why. But like to me, it's very, very simple. It's an offside is when... The, a player touches the puck and a player is in an offside position. Mcard did not touch the puck. Whether he's in control of or doesn't matter. Mid stick exactly. mid stick handle, I don't care. It's did he touch it with a player in offside position? The answer is no. Therefore, it's not offside. Shout out to Woodstock, Ontario's Dan Kavachik. Danny Kavat or what's his name? Brad Kavachik. Danny Kavachik's uncle. Shout out Danny. Brad Kavachik from Woodstock, Ontario. Great call. I totally 100% agree with this call. I understand the explanation. People are bitching about how the refs haven't come out and made an official statement on it. And I'm like, why do you need to? It doesn't make any sense. So the two big things for me here is Elliot Friedman messaged a couple of people inside the officials room and stuff like that. And also they, he got a ton of examples. If you watch sports center hockey night, there was a ton of examples of this exact same thing happening where it's a good goal. And you get guys like Carlo Koliakovo and a couple of these other guys who didn't like it and say it should be offside. They were arguing like, well, if McCart clearly lifted his stick to wait and then touched it, then it should be. You can't do that. You can't have intention to touch the puck or not. And that's where I agree. This is the right call. Maybe McCart was thinking that. Maybe that's why he didn't touch it. 
Do I know that? No. So it's got to be black and white. Did he touch the puck while someone was in an offside position in the zone? He didn't. Good goal. And it's really as black and white as that. So it was 100% the right call here. And the more you look at it, the more references they show, the more you talk to actual officials and they talk to the NHL, it was the right call. They've done this consistently. This isn't goaltender interference where it's been horrible. They've actually made this call consistently. It's happened many times. There was multiple instances that they showed on Sportsnet this morning when I was watching Elliot Friedman talk about it. So they have consistently called it this way. So it's the right call. And, and the other part of it too, though, is, is that, you know, yeah, like, I mean, people are talking about multiple, like, yeah, I, I think the big thing, you're right. First of all, let's go back to this. You're right in the sense of all the examples, right? It's not like, like the puck, like the Coleman thing, where there's been multiple examples of that being a goal. And then all of a sudden it not being a goal, right? Like, I think that that, like, that's where that inconsistency comes in. And as I said, as you said, it's, it's to me, this is extremely black and white. The thing that I really thought was dumb was people are saying like, well, there's, there's no way that uh, the, the linesman like knew that that was on side. And I'm like, okay, let's put yourselves in the shoes of the linesman, right? So first of all, are we just forgetting that, Makar scored from the top of the circle. Like, let's just yeah. put like, like with with uh, a defenseman on him. Like, like <laughs> we're just taking that away. It's not like it was it was that offside. Or was it was a three or four on one. And it was a tap in back door. No, he sniped it. So whatever. Um, it really to me didn't have any effect on on the play. And and we can get this is a totally different conversation. But to me, I also don't care as much. Right? Like if that player who's offside doesn't affect the play. And circles back in, like soccer, for example, right? If you have a guy who's in offside position, it doesn't affect the play, and then your guy carries it in, it's not offside. I get it. That's not the rules. It's different sport. Totally understand. Doesn't affect the goal to me in any way whatsoever. Going back to the linesman thing, though, is why would the linesman blow that dead? You know that yeah. there's video review. You know that you can challenge that. You need to let that play continue. How often do we talk about the NFL where they blow the whistle too quick and it comes back and you're like, well, that would have been a touchdown if you didn't blow the whistle. Same thing. Like, that's that, a, yeah, that's exactly, exactly what you need to do. Point. Exactly my point. As an official myself, if it's that close of a play, you let it play out because you know there's challenges. You know that they can look at this out. If you blow it down and it wasn't offside and you're a villain, this, this situation would have been tougher because there's, you would have really thought there was going to be a scoring chance on that. But if it's like a breakaway one, you got to let it go because if you call it offside and the guy should have been on a breakaway, it looks way worse. So let it play out. Let them challenge it if it's that close of a play. And this was that close of a play. I know there's all these people who are arguing, no, it wasn't that close. It was. So, I mean, great call. Get over it. Let's move on. Ryan Hooper, it's the right call. Yeah. Shout out to the salty old man yelling at the clouds. I don't know, man. Uh, anyway, um, let's get your prediction. prediction. Yeah, prediction. Um, I'm going to give what my prediction was before the series was. I have abs in six. Um, I'm sticking with my my kind of abs in six. So, you know, if you look at the, you know, the first round predictions, I did. I think I was 50-50 with who won. Uh, I didn't. The games is tough. I mean, it is what it is. But uh, I still have abs in six. I just, I do not think that um, Edmonton's goaltending is enough to withstand the 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 offensive power that is Colorado and yeah they have the best player in the world and for sure like again looking now that there's no Kemper that could be a problem <laughs> this prediction could absolutely be a problem but I have to say true and honest to what I thought prior to the game 
because that game hasn't happened. I still had Avs in six. I think, as I said, Edmonton's going to win some games here. Um, I think it's going to be very similar to St. Louis, where I think you're probably going to have a couple games that are going to be close, and it could go either way, but um, I wouldn't be shocked if it goes to seven. But to me, the Avs are still the better team, even without with, with quote-unquote, the number two player in the world, um, which he's amazing. He did it again last game, too, or last night, too. Um, Avs in six for me. Yeah, I, I'm absent six too. But originally, that was my call. Uh, I might take Edmonton in seven if we find out Kemper's done for the series. I might hedge my bets a little bit and go that way, but I got to go true. I had absent six. I think they're the best team. Here's just the interesting thing about this series that I thought was really interesting. Listen to Spit and Chicklets. They said four of the best six players in the NHL are in this series. So you so have Kale, McDavid. Kale McCar- yeah, McDavid and Dreisaitl from Edmonton, Kale McCarr. And Nathan McKinnon. And you've heard some people say that Kyle McCarr might be the best player in the NHL. Having them all in the top six might be pushing it. I mean, you could have arguments there. All four of these guys are in the top ten in the NHL. Top I ten, think easy. That's even, yeah. Top six is what they got it down to. They think all four of them are in the top six, which I think you'd have to go through a that's list. Question, about it that's twice. questionable. Go through it. But you have four of the top ten players in the NHL in the series. It's crazy to watch. You saw it last night. You saw McCarr take over this game a little more. McDavid still had three points, five hits. Like, just an unbelievable series. And this, I hope this goes seven. As a pure hockey fan now, I mean, the Avs have always been my West team. I've always yep. cheered from them ever since Patrick Waugh went over there. I want to see whoever wins the West really win the Stanley Cup. Screw Tampa and the Yeah, Rangers. I don't want I don't want whoever, it. Whoever, but, uh... I'm really hoping this goes seven just from a pure hockey standpoint. I just, I want to watch the series go seven. Same as we saw. I wish Calgary and Edmonton went more than five. This is the same thing. This is just an unbelievable, unbelievable talent in the series. And it's going to be a ton of fun to watch. I totally agree. And, and I mean, I, I, I hate what we agree way too much on a podcast. We really should be opposite opinions all the time. So we can actually have stuff to argue about. Um, but no, I mean, ever since 2002, um, I mean, the Team Canada, I mean, I would have been eight years old. Joe Sackick was always a huge guy for me um, growing up. Small guy, center, unbelievable talent. Loved him growing up and um, always loved the Avs. Um, I mean, conveniently, because they're in the ECF. But they haven't always been, though. I mean, I always liked the Avs before when they couldn't get past the, the second round. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Um, you know, I, I always like to cheer for teams that get stuck in a rut and can't get over the hump and then celebrate when they actually do. Uh, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I love, I, I mean, I'd love to see it end quicker because you know, I, it doesn't really matter. I think it, right now the abs are the best team. I, I had the abs making, if you look at my NHL bracket, I had the abs making the cup final losing the Leafs, which didn't plan out. But, uh, yeah, I mean the abs, they're still, they're still my guys. I'd like to see them go all the way. Um, I'll take the, I'll take the, as, as I said, abs and six, I'll take that dub though. I mean, I will take that dub over game seven. I'll sacrifice one game to be right i'll tell you that for free there's no saudi money back in that prediction so we go into the east we have the new york rangers tampa bay lightning they're in game one right now halfway through the first it's one one uh i mean by the time rangers scored two minutes in by the way chris Kreider, he had a heck of a year not talked about nearly as much how much how many goals he scored this year shout out to our Uh, list friend of the show constant listener uh nate white nate i got a text which was him screaming, what do I always say? Back door. He, anytime I play on hockey with this guy, I'm retired from hockey now. But uh, anytime we play hockey, he's he's a defenseman. He's always screaming back door when he's on the bench. He's not playing to make sure people are watching uh, the guy creeping in the side. And he was just lighting Maroon up 
for not watching the back door two minutes in. Anyway, shout out to my guy. Uh, one one. Um, yeah, I mean this series again is it's, it's all goaltending. I mean this is all that's that that's all it can be said. These are the two best goalies in my opinion in the world right this second is Shosturkin and Vasilevsky. So it's the absolute opposite Shosturkin's of the other series. winning the Vesna. And yeah, he's w- walking away with the Vesna. It's an easy like he might not even unanimously close. win it. Yeah, so Shosturkin's won the Vesna and that's not even going to be close and Vasilevsky over the last 3 years has He's won two cups goalie. in a row. Like I mean we're, we're at, you're his, right. His playoff stats have been unbelievable for the most part. So. His closeout games, his his elimination, it doesn't matter. Like this guy's been unbelievable. It's a battle of goaltenders and a battle of wills here. I mean, this is definitely not going to be as high scoring of a series, no doubt about it. Um, no, which so, uh, it shouldn't be. No, and you do have you have some really good defensemen in here. Adam Fox is the reigning Norris winner. Victor Hedman's one of the best in the league every year. Uh, and both teams are fairly deep. Like I don't think anybody's giving the Rangers credit for how deep they are. You have Lafreniere down the lineup. Their defense has been unbelievable. Keandre Miller is another guy who not enough people talk about how good he can be. Uh, and Tampa's D's been better than I thought they'd be. Um, at times they've looked shaky. I mean, they've given up a lot of chances, but Vasilevsky's there to stop it. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting what happens with the depth on both sides. To me, Tampa's just the better team. I had New York losing in the first round. So for them to get this far, I didn't see it, but I think they are going to be pesky. It's the Eastern conference finals. They're going to be pesky. <laughs> they have one of the best goalies in the league. So I think it's going to be Tampa and six. I think New York's going to find a way to get two. Shesterkin's going to steal one. And I think they can find another way to grind out another one. I, I actually had Tampa and seven. Um, and the only reason I have Tampa and seven here, they're to me, they're a better team. I think it's a coin flip between Shesterkin or Vasilevsky, whichever it is. I think Tampa is overall a deeper team. Um, definitely a more experienced team, no doubt about it. Um, but the Rangers showed against the Canes. I mean, they were down two nothing early, right? And they bounced back and and really, you know, took care of business down the stretch when it came down to it. And you know, Tampa overall, they they have that experience. Now I think it's fair to talk about fatigue. Um, and you could argue, well, they swept them. They had that much time off. Yeah, that's true. But that doesn't always translate as well. Like it doesn't. It you know, like teams that are that come that sweep and then go into the Eastern Conference Final. Uh, I forget the stat. I don't know the exact percentage stat that I saw, but they they've lost like eighty five percent of the time in Game One. After after that break to a team that no, I don't I I don't know what that stat was saying about seven, but it was basically saying like a team that sweeps. In the second round, has lost like eighty-five percent of game ones. Losing game one is huge, or winning game one is huge. It doesn't mean everything, obviously, for Toronto. That didn't that didn't matter, but that series won seven. It just gives you that extra leg up, where that if you get into that little bit of a skid or you get into the muck a little bit, that you have that first game to bounce back on. So I look at it as you know. So if Rangers end up sneaking one out tonight uh, on a team that's you could argue is rusty or whatever the case is. Um, you know, can they win two more? And I think if Shesterkin can play well and Vazzy's, you know, in the first round, he, he showed that he, unbelievable second round, unbelievable down the stretch, but he showed that, you know, there's a bit of a, you know, there's a way to get it done. And I think if the Rangers can, can take advantage of that, it, it could be interesting. I'm not, I'm definitely not going to say it's going to be four or five, um, six probably is the number, but I'm going to hedge a little bit and go with seven here. Um, as I said, I, I, you know, if I'm cheering for the Avs, I want this game to go seven. I want uh, Tampa to have to play the absolute maximum amount of games they have to. Um, but yeah, I think the champs go, <laughs> champs go back to the Stanley Cup final again, and we're gonna see Avs uh, lightning in the Stanley Cup final. And uh, 
I don't think that bodes well for the Lightning personally, but we'll get to that when it comes to it. Yeah, I agree. I don't think the light. I don't think the Colorado Stars are uh, going to be going to be uh, starstruck or not be able to get it done the way some of the stars on Florida did, or even the Leaf Stars did in the final. And I don't think the Ranger Stars are going to be able to get it done. But we'll get that when we get there. Who knows? I'd been to New York final would be something else. Uh, I don't see it happening. But uh, yeah, for me personally, this will be more playoff hockey, what you'll see in this series compared to the West. Uh, but for a lot of people, that's going to be a lot more boring. Even for myself, who's a diehard hockey fan and loves playoff style hockey. The West is going to be a better series to watch. I, I yeah, I mean, it ha- I mean, just the talent alone, it has to be right. I think that's the big thing. Is you could say, well, Tampa has stars. Well, do they? I mean, Stamkos is a little bit older. He's not one of the more electric players. Um, I, to be honest, can't name many Rangers stars. I mean, I can. I mean, obviously, Adam Fox, Left Lefner, Kreider, um, whoever the guy that used to play on the Habs was place for that team i think how about one of the top five paid players in the nhl and panarin yo panarin yeah okay that's fair but like again like but these are not guys that you're constantly talking about being in top 10 top 20 as opposed to as you said you have four of the top 10 i'm not gonna say top six but i was like top 10 you know series where you have four of the top 10 yeah i'll take that all day um Last thing that I want to get into, because we're going to get into this, you know, next week we'll have a bit, a bit of a better picture. I think we're locked and loaded for next week. Shouldn't be a problem. Um, Jason Spezza. I got to talk Leafs. I can't. I got to, I got to make it irrelevant. And actually, I have a, I have a bone to pick here. Jason Spezza retires from uh, after 19 years in the NHL. Classic, because that's his number, 19. 19 years, retires, five points short of 1,000 points. Um and that's fine. I mean, it is what it is. He's an older guy. We, You knew his role at the Leafs moving forward was going to be limited. And, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it just uh, – it was wild listening to – it was wild listening to the media talking about how good this guy was and, and – or and, you know, people tweeting about how, hey, like, wow – Spats at three years, like what a leader, what a legend. And I'm like, what are we doing here? He didn't do anything. Jason Spezza and Patrick Marlowe basically are the exact same. Like, am I crazy? No, I, I agree. Like, sure. He had moments where you're like, wow, that's a great moment. And there's going to be moments that you remember, but you didn't win anything. And really didn't do anything like that. Bringing in a veteran like that. Isn't that why you bring them in is to win. And I mean, Jason Spezza hasn't won anything in his career. So, I mean, there's another kind of talking point is you're bringing in these veterans who are good leaders. And Spezza had an amazing career. Uh, to me, he's still, I, I'm always going to remember Jason Spezza as a senator and not a Leaf. I know that's where he's finished his career, but most of his career was spent in Ottawa as one of the best players for the Senators organization, maybe ever. But he didn't win anything. I don't know, like, sure, he was a fine leader and he had some great moments with the Leafs. I'm not going to deny that. But I don't know, like, are you going to raise his number to the rafters? Like, that's the way some no. of the Leafs fans are talking. That's the way some of the Leafs fans are talking. Like, you're going to put a statue out front? Like, no! Yeah, I don't get it. Like, for what? For one, for one, like, motivational speech in Game 6? Like, what are we talking about here? How yeah, like- sad is it? I, and I, I'm going to be the one to say this. How sad is it that we are so deprived of success 
that we're, we're, we're raising a guy up. And this is no disrespect to Jason Spezza. I just want to say this. is no disrespect to Jason Spezza whatsoever. I believe that he cared about everybody on that team. I believe that he had conversations with that team and, was, and, and talked to them and motivated them to be their best. I 100% agree with that. He probably did. But guess what that resulted in, Cam? A first-round exit again. And guess what the year before was? A first round exit. And guess what the year before was? A first, not even a first round exit. Like, like this is what we're talking about here. Like, how motivational can you be that you can't get the job done? I mean, Spets has come out himself and said, you know, I, I ask myself all the time, you know, did I did I do enough? And I'm like, doesn't matter. Like it. And now he's moved to the front office, which is great. I have no problem with him being in the organization. No, and anybody who knows Jason Spezza says he's going to be a GM one day. He's going to follow, like, Iserman's thing. He's just that good of a hockey mind. And, I mean, I think you've seen it with his play, being able to adapt to the different changes in the game since he entered the league. I think his mind's there. And I think it's really good, at least, to give him a position there. I think it's really good of them to send out a nice thank you tweet and all that fun stuff. But that's about it. That's it. Like the, the, I, I, Again, the, the, the love in, and as I said, this is not a disrespect to him. But, I mean, we're talking, like, I mean, the, and maybe this is because we just have social media like it was before, but, like, we're talking about the, the, the tweets that I have seen from Leafs fans and other people alike. Like, people are basically saying the same things about, they did about Sundin and Gilmore and Domi and Tucker and, like, frankly, none of those guys did anything either. I, I wasn't ju- going to say it. Just throwing that out there, none of those guys did anything. But, all right. Here's here's a comparison I have. Who would you want give more respect to or more honor to? Jason Spezza or Kawhi Leonard? Kawhi Leonard. He won a championship. Exactly. Bottom line. He was here for one year, but he won a championship, and he was a massive reason for it. That's it. I don't care. Yeah. Kawhi Leonard is is way more of a legend in Toronto than Spezza will ever be. Exactly. Unless, unless Spezza – and this is another tweet I saw. I was like, Spezza's lining up to become the new GM. I'm like, no. Like, that's – can we just stop? I'm just going to put that. No, I'm not. No, I, I'm putting a stop to this right here. I'll tell you why not this season. No, but, anything, but, but Kyle, but like, think about Cam. Think about how this would work. So you're telling me that Kyle Dubas is hiring. He's the special assistant to Kyle Dubas. Kyle Dubas is hiring Jason Spezza as his protege. Not exactly that, but everyone around, like big hockey minds, Friedman, Bob McKenzie, and stuff, are saying Spezza's going to be a GM one day. That's fine. So you're bring, so you're bringing him in into kind of that role and kind of have him as special assistant, assistant GM. He might move up to. So in five years down the road, could he be the GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs? I'm not saying yeah, I don't you think it would be shocking. I'm yeah. I'm not saying it's impossible. All I'm saying though is, is like, can we just pump the brakes and let him work for the organization for a minute? Like he he was a player three weeks ago and now we're talking about how he's the, like you know this and this is why people hate us is because we talk about this shit it's fucking ridiculous like can, like just pump the brakes we have a gm we have a coach let's just chill i'm happy he's still around if he's as motivational as people say that's fantastic love it great for the team great for morale they get to see him around the rink everybody's gonna love that Hopefully he can have a more motivational speech that'll get into the second round next year, which not that that's the goal because it's to win the Stanley fucking cup. But anyway, bottom line is I think you're, you're like the quiet Leonard thing is bang on. Like, come on. DeMar DeRozan is infinitely more infamous in Toronto than Jason Spezza. 
And and that's a fair comparison because DeMar DeRozan didn't win anything. But DeMar, DeMar DeRozan's on the more of the same atmosphere of a Matt Sundin, where he was like yeah. all-star over and over again who never got the job done. And Matt Sundin, like legitimately, I think Matt Sundin reserve, deserves respect in, in Toronto. As does Doug sure Gilmore, does. as does all yep. those guys in the early 2000s. I remember watching them as a kid. And if you ask me right now, what is one Toronto Maple Leaf that you associate with? Like, if you to think, if, if you said Toronto Maple Leafs, what's the first player that comes to your head? I'm saying Matt Sundin. And that was just because that's the generation that I grew up in. Right? And we're not talking about all the guys like the Bowers um, and other guys like Tim Horton and lots of other Leafs who won cops into things um, back in the back in the sixties, right? I mean, most people aren't aware or like don't even know these guys. We're talking about guys who are in our generation. Was Matt Sanita a legendary Toronto Maple Leaf? Yes, he was. Did they get the job done? No. I mean, they lost in the Eastern Conference Final in Game Six to Carolina, but did he score a big goal? Yeah, he did. And sent it to OT. I remember watching that game. Like that. That is somebody who I could say, yes, this guy was a leader. This guy was the face of the franchise. Like, here's the other thing. I'll put it this into an example. If you, if Matt, if, if if Austin Matthews played basically his entire career with Toronto, scored 60 goals every year like Ovi and never won a cup, would be he would he be a legendary Maple Leaf? Yes, he would be. Yeah, he has to be. But don't tell me that Patrick Marlowe or Jason Spezza or Fucking anybody else like that. Uh, I mean, even like a great example just popped off ahead. Alexander McGillney. Is he a legendary Toronto Maple Leaf? No. Was he a stud when he played for the Leafs? Yeah, he was for many years. He was great. Is he a legendary Maple Leaf? No. This is the same kind of category. You can't just bring in veterans and be like, yeah, okay, yeah, look at these legends. No. Is Joe Thornton, like, why would Joe Thornton then not be a legendary Maple Leaf? I mean, just because your career has been has been like overly successful. You've played in the, not even because you haven't won any cups, but you've played in the league that amount of time. And all of a sudden you're a legend. No, can't have it. Ranted about this too long, but it just really bothers me that this is the level of like, this is what we're considering success. Like, what are we fucking doing here? We cannot just be like, Oh, what a legend three years. No disrespect. As I've always said, no disrespect, but no, that can't happen. No, thanks. That's like saying David price is a Jay's legend play here for a hot minute one dick all and he's he, no they play on a cool team yeah was that one of the cooler teams since they won the world series in 93 yes are they legends no is marcus stroman a legend no is batista legend yes yeah I'd argue, that's more like, of an know, argument edwin and batista are jays kind of guys and you always remember them as jays and kind of the way it was you could argue spets is not even a lot of people are not, are not even going to remember him as a leaf so those are interesting conversations. On more positive news, you brought up the Leafs, so i got to bring up the Habs. Big news out of Montreal today. Martin St. Louis is back for three more years, which is huge. We He was a great coach down the stretch. I know they didn't win, but they didn't really want to if you paid attention to them. <laughs> the but the things he did for the, the things he did for the young kids, we saw Cole Caulfield, who was a top five scorer in the NHL, goals-wise, since St. Louis took over. You saw the kids do well. You saw a lot of fight in this team, and they were fun to watch again. Uh, so St. Louis around for three more years. I'm excited to see what's going to happen in the summer here. Uh, so far, really good offseason. You got the first overall pick, and you signed St. Louis for three more years, who looked like he gave the Habs new life. So I think it's going to it's going to be a good, fun offseason, and it's nice to see he get rewarded for what he did coaching-wise, and I'm happy he wanted to stay around too. Great signing. That's all I'll say about that, unfortunately. Um, what a great signing by the Habs. I mean, obviously, you could just see his influence with young guys. 
uh, on that team. I mean, Marty's again, being a small player growing up, uh, San Luis was always another guy like him, Sackick, Aginla. Those are three that I would associate in the early 2000s who I was always like, yeah, those are the guys. I also love the Cavalier and Patrick Laleem for no reason. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know, whatever. I saw him play one time in Ottawa. That's like, I mean, young minds are influential. Bottom line, yeah, so though. Hot, sorry, bottom line, though, is, next, bottom line, though, is is that St. Louis is, is massive for Montreal. That's a great get. Um, he proved everything that, in my opinion, proved everything he needed to in the last season on why he'd be a successful head coach uh, for the Montreal Canadiens. He can speak French. He's got the name. Perfect fit for Montreal. Good for you guys. Yeah, Cole Caulfield will score more than 35 goals this year with St. Louis as the coach for a whole season. Ooh, uh, that is spicy. I mean, he had 22 since he took over in 37 contests. So it's not that crazy, <laughs> but uh, I think he's going to score over 35, and I think he's going to be – like, he's going to put up Dabrinkit numbers. Was that your hot I, take? That's Yeah, it's hot, well, somewhat hot take. I don't think it's that crazy because he had 22 Luke and 37. Warm. That's about but, as yeah. hot take as saying, like, the – which is more hot? Is that Caulfield scores 35 or the Patriots finish fourth in the division? I don't know how you're going to be worse than the Jets. The Jets are good. Yeah, the Jets have improved huge, but it's still the Jets. I know, but... Like, I just... I, just the organization. But it's Max Jones. One's the Jets and one's the... But it's just the organizational difference. <laughs> with the Patriots and it's just the Jets. It's, it's Mac Jones. I just I can never convince myself to bet the Jets over the Patriots. I the don't Jets, really care who's the playing. The Jets have gone to a Super Bowl more recently than Miami has. Yeah, but it's still the Jets. <laughs> They're not like you the, can put me the, on the Coyotes. I mean, we hate them, but it's not the only reason that I think we all hate the Jets number one there in the division. It's it's the Mark Sanchez butt fumble, isn't it? As soon as you see that play, you're like, fuck this organization with a bunch of bums. Is that it? No, it's just it's just the Jets. They're yeah. like a bottom five organization. Or is it that they play in New Jersey and they share a stadium? Yeah, that's. I mean, there's just so many reasons. But anyways, lots of hockey talk. Only a couple more weeks. Yeah. And three. No. That, Four. Well, I mean, it, it depends, doesn't it? If both series are sweeps, I guess we'll be Ooh. moving on faster. No, I don't. I, that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> I love this no. message in the group chat. These goalies are good. Yeah, no shit. It's just Thurkin and fucking Vazzy. They're good. Uh, anyway, uh, good chat. That's a good episode. We'll uh, we'll we'll circle back next week, and um, yeah, it should be should be good to go. We got some vacation coming up in the next. Uh, the next two months, I got a baby in July, but I should still be able to, to, to do our thing, get back to some normally scheduled stuff. It's kind of interesting. Like last week too, like there wasn't that much going on. So it wasn't a terrible time to, to have a little bit of a scheduling thing. So that's fine. Able to bring some fire this week. Uh, I don't have any, I usually like to save my, uh, my questions or my, would you rather's for the end of the episode? But I, uh, but I haven't except for one. Oh, Nah, I mean, I'm just coming up the top of my head. But would you rather be Phil Mickelson right now? Or would you rather... This is like complete cross-board, doesn't matter at all. This is just psyche in your head. Would you rather be Mike Smith or Phil Mickelson right now? Mike Smith. You just oh. let you just let in five goals against... Or whatever, six goals against the Avalanche in game one? You'd rather be Mike Smith? You're not sure if you're going in next game? You're not sure what your future is going to be next year? Are you going to be in the league? Are you good enough? 
over Phil Mickelson, the multiple major champ with made millions of dollars. You're taking Mike Smith. You'd rather be. Yeah. Right now I would rather be Mike Smith because who knows what's happening with Phil in his life or what's going on with his comments. So right this second, I'd rather be Mike Smith. Oof. I'd rather be Phil Mickelson. You can't go out in public if you're Phil Mickelson right now. Yeah, you can. People love Phil. No, people do not like Mike Smith right now. If you, okay, let me put it this (laughs) way. Only in Edmonton. Yeah, okay. If Mike Smith had to go out in Edmonton, you're just Phil anywhere. You're definitely going as Phil. The average fan doesn't give a shit. We're like way more in tune. Like the average person is just like, hey, there's Phil Mickelson. I'd rather be a multimillionaire and nobody know who I am, like Mike Smith. I can't believe That sounds way more fun. I mean, it does, but also. Like you're Phil Mickelson. You got the world at your feet. Everybody wants your services. Not the worst thing ever. Anyway, that's all I got. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Over Six Sports at Zach Burke Over Six and at C Charlton Turf Cam. Before we sign it off, how is the course conditions at Glen Cairn? Give us a curfing report. It's been pretty dry the last two weeks. Yeah, course is looking really good. The greens are running really fast, but we're drying out in a hurry. The rough's starting to look rough go figure ah. uh drying out in a hurry the amount of cart traffic's not good for it but we'll see fairways and greens should hold up pretty good t should hold up pretty good uh playing quite linksy though balls running out a ton the greens are going to speed up so uh it's fun conditions out there right now to play uh a little worrisome as a turf manager though yeah that could be a struggle but i know you're taking good care of your girl so hopefully i get out there in a couple weeks and see what it's all about uh as I said, there you got it. You got our socials. We will chat uh, next week. And for the Over Six Sports Podcast, I am Zach the Manaberg. And with me, as always, the Turf King report that you just heard came from Cameron Charlton. I don't even get to say anything this time. You just said my name and my title, so I get nothing. You're supposed to reaffirm the Turf King. Let's try this again. As always, it's Cam, the Turf King. Thanks for listening to Over Six Sports and we'll talk to you next week.